green lights behind me uh, for all of our social media feeds and they all come in at, uh, at, at different times. So when they all go live, I will inform everyone officially, including yourself, Isaac, that we are live and they're all live. We are live today with the AHDB on a dedicated broadcast about risk management for the agricultural sectors in partnership, as I say, with the AHDB. And we've titled it, How Can We Plan in a Crisis? Isaac, can you say hello to everyone, please? Hi, everyone. Good evening. So we're now live on LinkedIn. We're live on Facebook. We're live on YouTube and we're live on Twitter. And also we will uh, get the recording of this and put it on the podcast for you all to also hear as you're driving in your tractor or your car or your truck or wherever you may be in the UK or internationally. So Isaac, let's get, get into this. So farmers and growers are normally exposed to a wide range of risks arising from weather variability, natural hazards and pests and diseases. Agriculture and fresh produce production relies heavily on the natural resource base and climate conditions. But what we've all experienced in the last 12 months is totally unprecedented. Feed, fertilizer, fuel, labor costs have all risen dramatically, squeezing margins from profit into loss. With all sectors forced to rein in inputs, this will lead to potentially reduced yields and production. Left unchecked, there could be double digit cuts in output across all sectors of the UK food production and globally as well. These output cuts could bite as early as this autumn with wide scale shortages and an even greater likelihood of this happening occurring in 2023. How this will affect the 2022 harvest and what the knock on for next year will be hard to gauge. We're going live to with the AHDB and a number of their key experts that they brought in for this discussion for this very insightful broadcast as to see whether we can find solutions for, for all of us to take forward. So our key aim for this is to direct, create direct guidance to the sectors as to how these risks can be potentially mitigated. Um, Isaac, before we get going on that, just for those that um, um, aren't fully aware um, as to the workings of the AHDB, could you give us a bit of a brief on the AHDB, please? Thanks, Max. Yes, I work for AHDB, like you said. We are a levy-funded organisation working on behalf of farmers. And we've actually just recently asked levy payers to vote on how we spend their levy. Uh, the results are in. And you'll be hearing from us in the next few weeks on how we will focus uh, going forward as a result of that vote. But the kind of programs that we deliver is uh, very wide ranging. For instance, we do research, both applied and horizon scanning. We drive a lot of genetic work, uh, both in animals, beef, sheep and dairy, but also plants. Uh, we do knowledge exchange to help get that uh, R&D taken up on farm. But we also help farmers choose the best system for, for their farm. Uh, through, through the uptake of best practice um, on our network of strategic and monitor farms. We do things like looking at consumer trends and we challenge misinformation. We also run consumer campaigns like the We Eat Balance campaign. We work with schools and teachers to inform tomorrow's consumers. We analyze a lot of data both locally and internationally and look at how market trends and international events will affect the UK farmers and try and help them make more informed decisions. Uh, the area that I lead on is something called AgriLeader, and we base our delivery around three key areas. Leading self, so making sure you are in the best shape to lead your business. Leading people, making sure that everyone working in your business and uh, for you uh, know exactly what you wanna try and achieve through your business and are managed in a way that deliver the best results for your farm. And then finally, leading business, which is what tonight is all about, reminding people of some of the options that's out there and helping them to make some informed decisions that will best fit their situation. 
That brilliant. Um, I, that's, that's fantastic. And just, I need to positively endorse one element to, about the HDB. I've, I've been very lucky to be at the serials event in Duxford in Cambridge for the last couple of days filming. Um, and the, the theatres there, the HDB theatres have been packed out um, all, all day with some really key innovative discussions, um, everything from uh, politics through to uh, data and where, where our data is going. And uh, we'll, we'll speak to your colleague, David, uh, who's the economics and analysis director for market intelligence, the HDB, uh, to, to get his view on it. But yeah, I need, need to applaud the AHDB because the presence at Serials uh, was a, a very, very significant um, over the last couple of days. Excellent. Great to hear. Uh, okay, so what we're going to do is our little agenda is that uh, we're going to bring in our, our experts. We're just going to get them to introduce themselves, and then we're going to go for it in the respect of we've um, already discussed in, uh, in our green room um, a number of questions that we're keen to present um, to get our experts, to get their, their view from them as to how we can potentially create solutions on the back of this. So can everyone uh, turn, turn on their videos? Um, and just to say, we've got the fantastic Rupert, uh, Divisional Director at Lysix, who is uh, dialed in on, uh, on phone. Um, so he's going to be, we won't be able to see uh, Rupert, but we're going to hear him loud and clear uh, through, through the landline. So no particular order. Phil, can we go with you, please? Who are you and who are you representing? <coughs> Philip Kinch, I'm a dairy and arable farmer. We have a family farm and owned contract farming and tenanted. Three and a half thousand acres, 360 dairy cows. Uh, I was a, an HDB strategic dairy um, uh, for autumn block carving. Um, got a team of, of uh, team of eight plus some family help. <clears throat> um, also a director of Orion Farm Group, which is a buying group looking after 400 plus uh, farms across the UK and um, helping them trying to trying to buy their inputs uh, as competitively as they can. Excellent. And, and Phil, I have to ask you, how's the farm looking? Um, here, here we are at the, the beginning of, um, of, of June. Are you happy with the way things are shaping up um, on the arable side for harvest? So one of, our, one of our main challenges is flooding. We're on the Thames Valley. Um, and on the whole, things are looking pretty good. The, the, the rain has come just in time for, for quite a few crops. Certainly the maize was... Um, Starting to started to struggle. Um, it, it wasn't getting out the ground very well, but now it's all the way. So, no, I, 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 I'm broadly confident. Um, I, I probably wouldn't say that to my uh, to my landlord uh, at, at the moment with, with prices where they are, um, or else he'll he'll start having thoughts of his own. Excellent, Phil. Well, well done, um, Oliver. Over to you, please. Who are you and who are you representing? Thanks, Max. Good evening, everybody. Uh, my name's Oliver McIntyre. I work for Barclays Agriculture. Um, my job is National Strategy Director, so very much uh, the agricultural input to Barclays Agriculture. Uh, I do a lot of uh, events like this, but also sort of in the background, uh, a lot of interpretation of the change we're seeing and the volatility we're seeing in the market and generally trying to interpret the challenges UK agriculture has uh, from from time to time, not least, not least the present times. My background is I was uh, brought up on a small family farm in Lancashire, went to Ag College, managed some farms uh, for a while, about 10 years, then uh, was a consultant for six years, farm business consultant, uh, and joined the bank in 2006 uh, to lend money. Uh, they, they realized I was far too dangerous lending money, so they gave me this job uh, 10 years ago. So um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, it's challenging, uh, and it's, it's great fun. I get to meet some great people and do some great things. 
Excellent. There, there we have everyone. An honest banker, uh, Oliver, uh, re representing Barclays. F fantastic bank. Where, where I am in the eastern counties, we know that the majority of uh, farmers are all, all banking with, uh, with Oliver and his uh, colleagues. Luke, over to you, please. Who are you and who are you representing? Good evening. I'm Luke Patterson. I'm a fourth generation farmer on the north of Broads. Uh, the last six years, I've spent most of my time diversifying the farm, um, mostly into tourism, which is doing more retreats. Uh, but before that, I uh, diversified into grain brokerage just over 11 years ago, my 12th year of Snag, where I broke uh, independently grain, seed and fertilizer. So that is going to be fascinating having your um, input, Luke, because you, you're obviously seeing it from, from, from both, both sides. You're, I'm going to say, worldly wise in the respect of farming, but also the, the, the grain brokerage uh, element and also the, the asset finance side of it. Would that be correct? Uh, I wouldn't go that far, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's been good having the experience in the trade I've got to help the farming business. Excellent. Well and David. David, who are you and who are you representing? You've you, you you've been the busiest man I've seen over the last couple of days at Cereals. Good evening, Max. Good evening. Thank you. No, it, Cereals was good and it was great to be there and um, great to, to engage with so many lovely players and stakeholders. But um, I am uh, David Udall. I'm the uh, Economics and Analysis Director at AHDB. I have the pleasure of working with Isaac on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and... Um, my team are producing market stats, the prices, the analysis and insights, which is explaining how prices are being formed, what's driving prices, um, and allowing levy payers and farmers and processors, as well as stakeholders and governments, to just um, understand what's driving markets and make better informed business decisions. And I guess I'm, you know, I'm interested in this risk management thing. So I've got a previous life. I've done grain trading and I've worked in exchange rate markets as well. So you know, I approach risk management from a from both a, a corporate sense but also a farmer sense as well. Excellent. And David, um, let's use you as the proverbial litmus paper. What was what your view of the of the general feeling of everyone that you engaged with at Cereals over the last couple of days, please? Uh, so it, it's a mixed view. It's a mixed view. I mean, the one thing that's been on everyone's lips that I've spoken to has been fertilizer. That's the main thing that's come up in terms of high fertilizer prices, the impact that it's going to have on margins and then the decisions that need to be made and I think that's like the, the key aspects of risk management really when we're talking about how to manage risk within a business it's a great example of where we are now it's a risk but it's also an opportunity and for arable farmers at the moment the key thing is managing their risk to fix that opportunity of high costs but also high prices and the margin that it brings those conversations and thinking about things over a, a longer time frame not just a decision to for today but your cash flow and your budgets for three to five years as the subsidy structure changes that's been the, the, the main conversation and the main discussion we've been trying to, to, to build with our, with our uh, stakeholders at Cereals uh, over the last couple of days. Excellent. And again, another reason why we need to endorse and also continue to support the AHDB with the calibre of individuals that, that we have uh, with them in the respect of uh, Isaac and, and David. And Rupert, Rupert, over to you. Just to explain to, uh, to everyone dialed in, uh, Rupert's on a, on a, on a landline. Uh, it won't affect people on the podcast because they can't see uh, any of us. Um, but for those uh, di dialing in, you won't be able to see Rupert. But Rupert, over to you, please. Who are you and who are you representing? Hi there. Good evening. Um, great to be part of this. Um, I, I farm up in Northumberland. Uh, I started farming, second generation farmer for, uh, from 1990. Uh, then uh, in late 1990s, I sort of formed three businesses together to, uh, as, as a machinery company. We sort of farmed three and a half thousand acres and I was doing the, uh, uh, doing the crop um, cultivations and the crop care side. Then uh, sort of early 2000s, uh, I went to licensed insurance brokers 
um, still farming, then uh, came a bit busy, so I actually got a contract farmer in to farm on my behalf. And now going around full circle, I've decided to um, uh, go organic. So I've taken the farm back mm -hmm. in hand again, and uh, I'm now converting to organic. Excellent. And so I'm, I'm having to learn how to farm. And is is the organics going well? Is it is it a journey that you would recommend to other farmers? It's a it's by gosh it's 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 testing me and uh, because I'm I'm you know I'm not there yet. I'm in the first year having to put in fencing, water, um, and trying to get back to what um, trying to get back just to a sustainable farming uh, uh, system. Now I you know I'm I've got no idea and absolutely no gear. But I'm finding it really interesting, um, and it is, as I say, it is challenging me, challenging me every step of the way. But it's a, it's a fun journey. Excellent. So you're excited to wake up in the morning to go down that journey of organic farming. Well, as as somebody said to me the other day, he said it either works or it doesn't. When you do something, it either works or it doesn't. So, <laughs> so uh, you don't get a you don't get a second chance until the conditions come 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 right again. I think that the the what I'm really learning is that well, I, having to treat each individual field uh, on, on, on an individual oh, basis brilliant. as opposed to, you know, being prophylactic in the way that we do things. Excellent. Uh, that, Rupert, we'd love to have another conversation with you another time uh, about that. Isaac, with that, what a great panel that you, you've garnered uh, for us. Over to you, sir. Excellent. Really looking forward to it. I guess um, my first question would be, at what point does a business actually become big enough that it require risk management. So if I come to maybe the three actual farmers uh, on the panel, Phil, uh, Luke and Rupert first, so in that order, what, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think that, I mean- Is that me first or Phil first? We're gonna go for Phil, Rupert. If you, if you stand down, sir, we'll, we'll call you in as we, we're, everyone, <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna have this lo lovely satellite uh, delay. So just, just bear with us as we, as we work it all out. Rupert, we'll come to you. We're going to go to Phil first. Phil, please. I, I don't actually think there's a threshold at which you you, you need to, um, to to cross. I think every farm business um, needs to have risk management in the in the in the day to day sort of management structure. Um, I, I think a lot of people don't realise quite how much risk management they do in their in their daily management and daily planning and, and thought processes. I think. I think we underestimate ourselves as as farmers in our, 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 our how many skills we've got in that in that regard. To be honest, so I don't think there's a threshold. I think um, I think we need to try and get past that idea of thinking, or oh, I'm not at that level. I don't need to think about that yet. I don't. I don't think that's the case. Luke, um, yeah, I I feel that uh, it's it's always the black swan event, isn't it? I think like. Uh, like Phil said, there's a lot we just do automatically and we don't realise it. But it, it's things like if your assurance is taken away and no produce can leave your farm, how are you going to manage that? And and so I think, you know, we can look at all our contracts, our energy contracts, electricity, forward buy and sell where we can um, uh, to mitigate some of this. But um, it's actually, it, it's things we don't always see in front of us that we probably need to probably and a bit of office time thinking about. Rupert, 
Well, look, we're, we're, we're into greater uncertainty. And I think the thing about risk management, and I agree, we, we don't always, I think we do it quite naturally, actually, in a lot of things we do, but it helps you to sort of channel resource, doesn't it? And also be, um, you know, pretty pro proactive in what you do. And the thing about risk and risk management is there are positive risks, aren't there? And there are negative risks, you know, the former being opportunities and the other being uh, threats. And it's uh, the ability really to exploit those situations as they uh, arise and set the agenda and you know why wouldn't you want to try and set the agenda and you know whether it's buying fuel ahead or um, uh, inputs ahead you know is it right for you on the day having made the uh, you know the budget decision that you have and then it's it's being happy with that decision you've made excellent uh, Isaac uh, with many farmers buying fruit and feed uh, forwards and do you think the biggest impact of rising input costs won't be seen until next year or how could farmers manage that start managing that now so let, shall, we show, shall we throw it over to the uh, to, to the bankers of the world just to get, get their, their, their view on that? Because, um, Oliver, in all seriousness, you, you're, you're touching so many um, cu customers. That sounds all wrong, but you know what I mean in the respect of you, you're, you're, you're a bit like um, um, a, a bee. You're going and get, gathering pollen, gathering information from so many uh, different sources. So you'll have a great view on this. Oliver. Yeah, thanks, Max. Thanks, Isaac. Um, I think just, uh, yeah, you know, we've got a 25% market share across UK agriculture. Uh, as you've already highlighted, Max, we have some uh, real stronghold areas like East Anglia. Um, so, you know, our team are out there, 80 plus dedicated agricultural managers are out there talking to farmers day in, day out. I think sort of this, it sort of links into the first question. Um, I think for me, uh, I would agree with some of the other speakers that farmers agriculture in general actually does an awful lot of risk management that we probably don't put under the heading of risk risk management. Um, so looking at sort of volatility, buying feed forward, buying fertilizer forward, selling crop forward, you know, it's, it's, it's really important that all these things. And I, I think it was Luke who said, this is it's office time. It's sitting down and going, right, what are the risks to this business? And it's not just identifying the risks of, uh, you know, what, as if you look back at a sort of SWOT analysis, it's not just about those threats that come from outside the business. It's looking at the weaknesses within the business. You know, is, is one particular area of the business reliant on one particular person to operate it, uh, one particular person's skill sets? Uh, you know, it is about assessing that risk and having some sort of I don't know, I suppose in the world of banking, we call it business disruption uh, sort of policies. You know, what happens if, what happens if, and having that plan in place. Because, you know, as a bank, as I've said, we've got about 25% market share. That's an awful lot of debt we put out of the door to UK agriculture. And when we're looking at a lending proposition, it is actually the management and, and the character and the ability of the people wanting to borrow money that we're really assessing. Because having done five, six years as a, a farm business consultant, you know cash flows are great they're a great management tool but you can make them sort of say what you want so it is yeah. about that sort of interactive management of 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 the farming business that you know luke, luke spoke about and phil for that matter yeah david we've got to go to, to to yourself as the economics and analysis director of and market intelligence at hdb what, what are you seeing in this context please well so i think there's a couple of different ways that we need we need to look at it you know first of all we've got to uh, and kind of agreeing with what Oliver was saying there about you know the amount of risk management going on, um, and sometimes we can easily scare people because we're using terms like risk management, and it's you know there's a big psychological driver here that we need to think about as well. That when you're looking at risk, 
it isn't all about what's happening in the business. It's about the, the people involved as well. So every farmer has to understand their own risk appetite and their own risk profile to then start making the best decisions. And there are going to be some people who are, you know, we're asking farmers to be, uh, to be vets, chemists, biologists. Now we're saying they need to be economists and, and, and with everything else going on. There's a huge amount of pressure on farm and farmers' time and understanding your own appetite to risk, your own profile of risk. If, if this discussion is making you have sleepless nights, you know, that's something that needs to be mitigated and needs to be, to be done about. And then in terms of the, like you were saying earlier about the cost of fur and feed, you know, that's, that's an anxiety driver, isn't it? That, that's very concerning for people at the moment. And so when you can put measures in place that are making decisions that are, like you say, buying fertilizer forward, selling grain forward, understanding that there is a margin there and fixing a profit for the future that's a key risk that can be taken out of your business that then alleviates that psychological side of the, of the anxiety and the um, and the concern about it so you know there's a it, there's, there's a there's a huge topic that we can go into there in terms of psychology yeah um, no oh, sorry can i can i come in there max Phil, oh, from a, from your buying group uh sides and you know you you head up on that what do you see uh and then what's the what's the strategy going forward um, and the, the, the difficulty for buying groups is that they, you, you're, you're not necessarily acting as a, uh, giving advice as such as, as being facilitator of, of, of trades. And um, I, the, the, the job of the buying group, as I see it, so some people get hung up on sort of saying, oh, well, we're going to compare prices across buying groups and, and it, it they're not always the cheapest or, or whatever. And I think people are missing the point slightly that actually what's important about buying groups is security and consistency and, and confidence of supply. And that's, that's where we've been focusing a lot of our efforts to make sure that, like with AgCans, with problems with some of the supply chain on the AgCans, it's making sure that we've actually got supply coming through and, and things like that. And, and it's, it's that, Sort of risk that um, that we're 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 being able to to, to help support on. Um, obviously, the, the cost, the, the buying power of um, of a buying group is is great, but I think um, a lot of these big companies uh, they almost saw the buying groups as as threats over the last sort of ten years and have, have, have tried to limit just how, how how much of an impact they can have. But um, it's it's that. Also, it's the fact that you can just make one phone call and, and you know that someone else is going to ring around a dozen suppliers and find you the cheapest or um, most consistent product. So. Yeah. Rupert, do you have a view, please? The only view I would say is that, is that we're going to have to uh, treat uh, fields um, on, on an even more individual basis. So that's getting out there and making sure that if we don't need to put on... Uh, we just lost Rupert, of course. Um, Luke, just just over to you again. You've got this um, this re really um, interesting background with your um, your your uh, day business of uh, on the trading perspective and asset finance, and also your farming side. You, you must be uh, seeing this, or you must be having a lot of people coming to you asking for advice as to how they should plan and structure not only for one year, two years, three years out. What what are you seeing, please? Uh, I am. Um... I'm seeing uh, quite buoyant arable farmers at the moment that um, 
have uh, fertilised their crops with relatively deep fertiliser in today's marketplace. And um, given the rains we've just had, actually, we've got to showing a bit of promise. So mm -hmm. things are looking quite good. Um, and actually, business last month was pretty brisk. Um, a lot, a lot of people have covered themselves on a reasonable amount of their fertilizer, in all fairness, and sold grain on the back of it. And I think that is one of the simplest hedge hedges that farmers can take is actually they they're buying your inputs, they can sell some grain out, out of the side, uh, and and you know, and at the moment well, there's been a there's a margin in it, assuming an average yield. Yeah, we have to ask Luke because he'll be in the know. Are you seeing significantly different buying and selling patterns from farmers currently? Um, I don't feel uh, farmers have uh, have radically uh, changed the way they they buy and sell. I think the higher prices have changed a few people's tactics. There's people who perhaps haven't sold forward in the past. Actually, when wheat was up at 3.30 for November, X farm they were out, I, I probably should be selling some of this. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, there's subtle changes, but I wouldn't say it, there's radical changes in the industry, okay. how people buy and sell. That's interesting, uh, I thought it would be. Rupert, back to yourself, sorry, we cut you off in your prime. Well, I, I think what I was really saying, is, and I think it's happening anyway, I think this whole sustainability and your interpretation of sustainability and, and what progressiveness is i think that the conventional world is moving closer to the organic world and i think that there mm. will be uh, a real concentration on soil health going uh, forward so that's how i think that these rising input costs actually are going to be uh, managed or mitigated to some extent yeah, well, well said. And uh, um, Isaac, if it's okay to mention, we were talking to a lot, lot of the, the experts in the, in the green room earlier about the next event coming up, which is Groundswell. Um, and there's a number of people who are actually highly surprised that they're going to Groundswell, uh, but they feel they need to because of everything that uh, the likes of uh, Rupert and Luke just, just said, this, this whole change um, in this, 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 this philosophy. And perhaps uh, actually going to the likes of Groundswell might give, uh, might give some of the answers. Um, Isaac, over to you, please. Excellent, Max. Um just asking from the panel, what are the blockages that uh, historically stopped arable farmers, say, from hedging sales and livestock farmers from, from feed inputs? And what can maybe be done to remove those blockages? Who shall we go uh, for first? Luke, so you've got your hand up. I have indeed. Um, I think uh, relationships was one of the words I wrote down thinking about this. And that is relationships within um, your business and it's your family and if you make a decision and it goes well it's probably a joint idea if it goes badly it was definitely your idea so um uh, relationships within the business but also relationships with people who you buy and sell with you know um if you've got a good strong relationship with who you sell to you can talk to them about various options rather than just picking up the phone and perhaps selling something if you change your view on it can you buy it back can you add a premium are there things other things you can do and I think you know a good relation relationship will facilitate that and so I, I was thinking uh, relationships with with who you sell to um, I, I mean you could talk about a bit about education um, but uh, you know you're talking about historical blockages well I think the industry is moving quite quickly to, to change the way it did things and so the wheel is turning on, on this subject. 
I interviewed Anna Hill of BBC Radio 4 Farming Today fame uh, yesterday, and she actually pulled me up when I was describing farmers because she, she wanted to use the word businessman, that, that farmers are turning more and more into, in, into businessmen. Um, Oliver, are you seeing this with your, with your background in, in the sector consultancy and Barclays? Are you seeing that, that farmers are getting more, 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 more professional and likewise the people that are, are, that are supplying the farmers? Are you seeing everyone getting uh, that raising, raising the bar and even more so in these interesting times, Oliver? Yeah, uh, thanks, Max. I, I wouldn't disagree with that as a, as a statement, Max. I think certainly, you know, I've been involved in sort of consultancy and banking for over 20 years, and I feel the world has moved forward. Those progressive farmers realise the value of having a strategic plan, having a, a cash flow forecast in place, but also a, a little bit, um, a little bit that Luke was talking about then, actually surrounding yourself with people you trust, people's advice that you like to listen to and then you know as Luke said you, you make your own decision and if it goes well it was your decision if it goes badly uh, you've got someone else you can blame as well um but yeah I think so I mean I would say one of the big kickers uh in in the the dairy sector for example was when we had that milk price drop was that 2014 2015 you know I would say probably uh, one in 10 one in 20 uh one in 10 one in eight dairy farmers were doing budgets and forecasts then i think that figure's probably over half now these days and i think that in these volatile times like a cash flow is not going to help your business through through struggling times what it is going to do is going to tell you what you need to get through you yeah. know if fertilizer price goes up uh, it, it's 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 knowing what that means for your cash flow how much working capital you're going to need whether it's coming from cash or coming from a bank is is almost irrelevant you need yeah. to know you've got enough cash to get through to the next grain check. And I yeah. think that correlation between high input costs, but actually you can nail a really good grain price at the minute, you know, means as, as, as Luke said, uh, you know, the arable sector at the moment is in, is in a good place. There might be some pressure points next year, but uh, at the moment with those high farm gate prices, uh, you know, picking up that correlation between input and output costs and, and, and matching that, that sort of cash flow of, of eight, 12 months to get to it is, is uh, on the forefront of a lot of farmers' minds, probably more so than it was 20 years ago, Max. Oliver, th thank you, because what, what I'm really le learning from, from yourself is um, the, 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 you mentioned this, this, this word cash flow a, a, a number of times. And yeah, we, we need to lean on your expertise on, on that side. Uh, Rupert, what, what are the blockages? If, if I can come in just on that, because that's a really good point. You, you can have your trading accounts, your taxation accounts, whether it's sole trader, partnership, limited company, Profit on the bottom line, it, yeah, it's important, but it's the movement of cash in the business and the timing of cash payments. And I think more and more farmers are beginning to understand that. As bankers, we'll look at profit, but we do all sorts of permutations and calculations in order to understand what's happening with cash in that business. Right, okay, good. This is so um, insightful. So we're learning from Luke about relationships. We're learning from Oliver about that, that banking um, element, having that, that information at your, at your fingertips. Rupert, keep, if we, Rupert, if we lose you again, just keep dialing in because it's working really well. Rupert, what are the blockages that you're seeing, please? That, but, and, and what might be the solutions around them? I think that the main blockages are our hope. You know, farm, farm and, and farmers are massive risk takers, aren't they? You know, and they don't really 
realise relative to other businesses just how much risk they uh, take on. And I think uh, other than uh, you know those who adopt a process of that where they sell you know maybe twenty percent uh, uh, pre harvest, they're reluctant to do that until they see what you know what is in the uh, barn. And you know is the price today going to get better? So I'm going to say they are optimists that they're going to get a better price. I'm not sure that that's the basis to make a decision, but I think that is, you know, would explain why, um, you know, to, to a certain extent, why, uh, you know, not more is sold uh, ahead yeah. at fairly high prices at times. Thank you. Phil, are farmers massive risk takers in your view? Um, well, I, I, was, I was just there, just wrote down, um, what other business um, makes their produce with, no certainty over what they're going to be selling for at the end of the day because we're we're, we're so far ahead. We're we're I mean we're we're putting cows in calf and 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 bringing young stock through, and it's a thousand days until that cow starts or that 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 progeny starts milking. Um, and then and, and with, with with eighteen months probably before before we're selling it. And to no, no other business works that far ahead. Or builds that far ahead with no firm commitment on what they're what they're going to get for it, and so we, there's a huge amount of trust. A lot of it is is just well, I did it last year, so I'll I'll, I'll just do it again. Um, and and almost I don't know if that's like a farmer's disease. It's like well, it's it's what we know and, and whatever. I mean, certainly going 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 back to some, on the previous point slightly, going back to my my father's generation. I can say this because there's no chance of him downloading the podcast. Um, I mean, their, they, their education was very much, um, this, is, this is how you need to feed a cow and milk a cow, and this is how you grow a, a wheat plant and, and, and look after it. And, and now the, the, the future generations com, coming through are multifaceted business-minded um, business individuals who have got to have so many other skills Probably the least important is is how you feed and milk a cow, um, and, uh, and 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 all the other bits that come with it. Obviously, there are there are a, a few people of of, um, of my father's age that have probably got those skills already, but I'd say they're few and far between. Well done, well done, Phil. Thank you, David. What, what's your what's fascinating fascinating segment of of the conversation? What what are you seeing? Uh, picking out the threads of the of our various other experts. I think a key thing here underneath it all comes back to, to education, doesn't it? And we need to empower farmers to have the tools and to have the knowledge available to make these confident decisions. And across all of this, it just comes back to the, the time and the knowledge. And if a farmer has the time and has the knowledge, they will probably make the right decision. But they just need to make sure that they, they have the tools and they have the resources. And I think it's coming back to a point that Luke said there is no one person that will give you the answer you need to have those relationships across everything you, you know you need to have your relationships with your 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 input providers to ensure you're buying your inputs correctly and understand then you speak to your bank and you can speak to uh, ahdb and other people that provide any kind of market information you know soak it all in soak it all in you know i, I see what we do as ahdb and what other people provide but we're a time resource we have the time to take that amorphous blob of market information in the world and condense it down into a short concise piece of information that a farmer can use and take away and go okay I, i've got the idea now i can now take that add it to the other information i've got go and speak to luke go and speak to my bank manager understand have that plan and, and that structure in place 
So education to ensure that farmers are making those empowered decisions. I think that's a, a, a key blocker and something we can all provide. Yeah, David, well done. Isaac, we're really learning now, aren't, aren't we? It's, it is the it is the it's the connections. It's it's the banking element. It's the it's the education. It's the engagement to to help all of us through in these unprecedented times to, to find the solutions. Isaac. Yeah, definitely. And spending that time in the office, looking at, at the information um, and getting it from where you can. I guess this will be a good time to talk a bit about and what commercial offerings are already out there and so looking at, at risk management. And why isn't it more uh, widespread in, in the UK? In the in the US, you get um, farmers regularly and um, hedging and, and you know, so looking at futures and options. But it's very limited here. So why is that, and, and what is available, and, and how can farmers access that? So who should we go for that? Phil, did, did, as Isaac's already intimated, I'm aware in the likes of the states, and also even um, in the, the likes of South Africa, the, the likes of the, the hedging is is very very common. Uh, Phil, with with yourself, with your farming hat on, and also with your with your book buying group hat on, is this something that you can see is going to be a bit of a new dawn within within UK agriculture, or will we shun it? Will we push it away? What do you think, Phil? I think we've we've wanted it for ages. I mean, back wow. back when I joined business before two thousand, and, and, and we were talking about wanting these, being able to to future sell our milk and all sorts, and. Um, for, I mean, there needs to be a demand to, to drive the product for, for, for banks or for, for milk buyers or grain buyers or whoever to, to start to provide the product. Mm. Um, but then there needs to be quite a significant shift in confidence that they're, they're not providing that product because they, they know something that we don't know. Therefore, they're trying to buy it cheaper and get us to commit to selling something earlier. And I think that's, that's been where we've, we, we've been stuck is, is that We've gone through this period of so saying well, we need to be able to lock into futures, but they're not not having the confidence that are those futures good? Are those futures on in, in my best interest? And it's it's where and how you get that information to have that confidence that that's the right one to say. Now, is that AHDB? Is it your bank? Is it your consultant? Um, or, or or who? I mean, that's that's I think where we probably need more support and need more work. Phil, thank you. I, I don't know why. I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite surprised that you're quite positive about actually looking down, down that, that route. I suppose in some ways I have to, have to apologise. I just had this uh, this view that a lot of UK farmers were very hesitant about it. Let's ask Luke. Luke, are you seeing that uh, a number of uh, UK farmers are looking to go down, down that route, like uh, like Phil? Um, obviously, in the arable sector, I suppose we're relatively in the sense that we have a futures market. I've got the screen up here. I, I can see what's happening around the world and on London futures. Uh, so we've got the transparency and fancy and we can we can see what's happening. There is the option to take put and call options, um, but they're they're not widely traded. Uh, and uh, arguably why, well, London itself isn't that widely traded. If you look at the lots that go through London a day, it's a bit embarrassing compared to Paris, and then Chicago is just on another level altogether. Um, I, I think actually, you know, if you've got a good, good relationship, so options, if, you, if you've got a, um, you, so you can open up a futures account, you're going to put 10,000 pounds down as a deposit to open up your account. Um, and when you when you buy and sell grain on there, you each hundred, Tons, your initial margin is £3,360 for, for, for each lot. 
um, and then you'll get margin calls. I, I just actually think probably an, uh, an arable farmer, pretty much on whatever scale, that, that's quite a lot to manage. Um, you'd be better off having a good relationship with a merchant who, who will facilitate um, over-the-counter options and let you buy, buy back your contracts if your view changes in the situation that's happened this year. Some people have phoned me up and said, can I cash set the contract? And then they've resold it again. And um, that I, that's probably an easier way for a grower to do it than have a, a, a few, their own futures yeah. account. Okay. And, and do many merchants hold, hold my hand with my naivety, Luke? Do are many merchants are they are they positive? Will, will they will they openly set up an account for for, for farmers? Or are they um, are they in a bit, a bit of a dark world like I am on this subject? Uh, some are more interested in facilitating what you want to do than others, and okay. it, it, you know. Um, so I talk about relationships. Obviously, you've got to have that relationship with with the right person to make that happen. But yeah, I, when I broke a grain, I broke with. With companies and principals that are, are willing to facilitate um, buying and selling. Okay. Rupert, do you have a view on this, please? I do have a view, quite a strong view, if you don't mind. Go for it. Um, and I'm going to go against what the AHDB are trying to do here, because with respect, they've been pushing a few options for decades uh, now, and I learned about it at Agricultural College uh, years ago. And the fact is that this is a very different market has been alluded to in the UK than in the States. The States, the crop is traded six or seven times, 40, up to 40% of the wheat crop is traded in the UK. So if you want to go and trade, really, you know, it's, it is not a liquid market, the UK. That's the first thing. The second thing is you've got to keep on top of it. And, you know, farmers, uh, you know, to be able to do that, uh, you've got to be looking at it the whole time. I mean, Hell's Bells, on Monday, the market moved up 19 points. And if you'd had a futures there, you'd have had a call margin on you of 1,900 quid on one lot. So, um, you know, futures, I think, is expensive. Mar you know, options for the moment are expensive, £25 a tonne. And conversely, the market is worth working against what it should be doing. So in volatile times like we have for the moment, when it should be, uh, you know, the options market should be there to, to use to uh, manage that volatility, to mitigate that volatility, it's quite the reverse. It would cost you £25 for, you know, to take out an option for the moment. That, you know, it's, a, it's, it's expensive. And, you know, the, the second thing I was going to say is, you know, I work in insurance in a regulated world. And by gosh, you know, that world is regulated, it's expensive yeah. to do. And um, I don't think it's easy. I think I absolutely agree it's about forming a relationship with your brain trader. And actually, what I think it does is I think, you know, these pooling arrangements that you can do, you know, a short pool or a medium term pool or long term pool, I think is much a better way to go than try to play the market. That's my view. Sorry if I've upset no, the agent. No, 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 that's you. fine. It, it completely depends on your appetite for risk. I, I've got uh, some growers I work with absolutely love the risk and they enjoy the roller coaster of the market. Um, so it just completely depends on your attitude in the situation. Oliver, a key, a key farming business comes to you and says, uh, we're thinking about trading on, on the futures. Never done it before. We want to do it ourselves. What would your advice please, please be, Oliver? Um, I think I think it's quite interesting, Max. I, I've got a few views on the why we don't have a mass of products out there. I think if you look, the two examples you brought up was uh, America and South Africa. I think yep. um, if you look at America, we're very lucky in the UK. We have quite a, a narrow, you know, our core crop. Eighty percent of our ground is covered by wheat, barley, 
oil seed rape, uh, peas and beans probably. Um, you know, they're, they're quite uh, sturdy crops. You know, we've had, a, we've had a bit of a hairy spring with rain, but we don't live in this sort of volatile climate. We're quite a, a passive maritime climate at the minute. Uh, you know, we often hear of, a, you know, the Midwest dust bowl and total crop failure. And I think that's why those sort of insurance products, whether it's forward selling or whether it's crop insurance, which is, you know, another good risk management tool in other parts of the world, is why we don't have them here. If you look at South Africa, an awful lot of the agriculture there is by, uh, we would call tenant farmers or share farmers or contract farmers. So if the bank's going into quite a large farming organisation that's on an awful lot of rented ground, it will be a condition of funding the working capital that they they take a position on the end crop, and then you then you're backing uh, backing that sort of management ability to deliver the crop at the end of, end of the day. Um, I've got that obsessed with saying that, Max. I can't remember what your original question was now, mate. Wait, wait so, so, Mr. or Mrs. Farmer comes to you and says, "We want it. We want to trade in futures." Um, Mr. Barclays, what would your advice be? Other banks are available. What what would your advice be? So, so it sounds uh, like. It, it, the McDonald's archers method in, in the States is suitable there, but perhaps not suited here because we're a different market. Oliver, would that be right? I, I, I think, um, yeah, yeah, we are a different market, but, you know, I, I've talked about the character and ability and the management of, of, of any farming business. If someone comes to us and says, look, at these input costs, uh, you know, I can produce grain at you know, whatever the figure is, 140 pounds a tonne or probably nearer 220, 230, 240 at the minute a tonne you know, but I can get 300 a tonne and I can forward sell, uh, you know, that to us is, is a great business model. You know, we, there's, a, there's an old phrase in stockbroking, I think, which is no one ever went bust taking a profit. You know, if someone comes to us and says, I can make a profit at this and I've locked it all in, happy days. Oliver, thank you. David, I've got to ask you the same question. Let's give you that scenario. You just come out from one of your fantastic presentations at the, the AHDB marquee at Cereals, and a farmer comes up to you and says, David, need your advice. We want to go trading futures. We want to do it direct. David, what would your advice be? Well, I think, yeah, it comes back to exactly what Oliver was saying there and also what Luke said previously around having the, the, the time and the willingness to do it and the risk appetite to do it. If they're willing to take on that risk and they want to invest their time in managing it properly and they, and they understand, they, they know the process, they know the risks involved, then it is a way that they can manage risk. If they're doing it on a whim because they think the thing they should do and it might work and there's all these ums and ahs over it, I would say stay the hell away. Um, you know, it, it entirely depends on your risk appetite if you're willing to spend the time to do it. Um, and and I, I should say, like, you know, when, when Rupert said about options, I, I think you I think you might have, you know, talked yourself out of your own argument there, Rupert, because you said options are expensive at 25 quid, but then the market moved 19 quid on Monday. So I think that proves that options are cheap. If the market moves 19 quid and then another 19 quid, you've paid your option off and made a, pr made a profit on it. So I think the proof that the market is that volatile proves that options actually are the better way. You don't have that underlying. You don't have that core margin um, coming into it where you're having to you know, pay up on a day-to-day -day basis. You've just paid the premium and then you can, you can manage it from there. So I would say you know, if, if you're willing to spend the time and invest in it, and, and, and it, is you, it is you as a person, you want to do it and you understand it. It's, it's what drives you, you know, it's what excites you. Then yeah, you, you can open a futures account, but you've got to understand the risks and you've got to take it seriously. If you don't want to do it, but you still want to manage risk, options, in my view, 
has always been the way. And I, I used to trade options. So I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge advocate of them. You know, I think at the moment they can be a, a huge tool for farmers to use, both from a, a farmer selling side, but also when we're talking about managing input price risk. You know, let's go to the, the, the pig sector and the high prices that they're seeing for feed, and you know, um, pigs losing more than 50 pound um, per head. You know, managing input price risk through options is also a strategy that can be employed as well. Excellent. Rupert, do you want to just top and tell that one for us? Well, I think it, that, that's what makes a market, doesn't it? Um, but, you know, the market went up 19 on Monday and then it came down £14.50 on Tuesday. Um, I, I think it's the cost of the option relative to the underlying product has increased, which you would expect it to do at a time of volatility. So um, that, that was, you know, it, it's it's sort of that, that margin cost, that, that option cost you know, has extenuated out uh, when it was when it's most needed. That's the sort of point I'm trying to make. Rupert, thank you. Isaac, over to you, please. I've just had a, a, a question coming from a dairy farmer in Cheshire on the topic of FERTs. And with the news of the Cheshire Fertiliser Factory closing uh, and subsequent headlines regarding UK food vulnerability, how do you foresee the risk and what the impacts for the industry will be short and long term? So if we can answer that one quickly from a, from a dairy farmer in Cheshire. Who will we go to on, on that? Um, Luke. Well, I've got to be careful what I say here. I was warned, forewarned that we're live, so it mustn't be liable, I suppose. But, um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, yes, but we only produce a, a small amount of fertilizer in this country. We're going to import it. So it's, it's, a, it's a global market. Um, uh, urea price today didn't seem to move much on the back of the fact that. Um, there's no UK fertiliser being produced. Um, whether availability will actually be an issue, but I, like I said, I think there's quite a few people have committed to buy, and so admittedly it's not on farm, but it, yes, it's sort of in the order book and, and going to happen. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think the impact's going to be great. But David, what's your thoughts on that? Well, yeah. Let, let, let's say there's two ways to look at it long term long term the market can um can realign and recalibrate as luke was saying you know we will just move to an import position but again then we're just more open to global markets um and we've always been a follower in fertilizer markets anyway because of the the volume that we produce you know realistically i think it comes back to a point that um, oliver was making earlier on you know we look at it and we go okay that's that's the information we've got that's the news we've got like you say, it hasn't drastically moved the market. I think to a degree it was expected. It's nothing that's massively shocked and surprised anyone. But then it comes back to that decision of going, okay, if there is a margin there and you have a profit margin based on the current historically very high price of fertilizer, let's say seven, £750 a tonne um, at the moment, and you can make a profit based on the November 23 futures price, what are you going to regret more as a farmer? Are you going to regret that you can sell and the market goes down and you make a loss or are you going to regret that you did sell fix a profit margin and the market goes up and you could have made more profit and i think the big regret really is making a loss so i think it comes back to that decision about going okay fertilizer prices are high the input price is high this is going to impact something that's not just arable this is going to impact dairy and other crops as well because we go to the forage argument of it for 23 this is a long-running issue that we're going to see it's just going to suddenly disappear overnight this is something that's going to be around for at least 
18 months, two years, you would say, of these high prices. It's about managing that in your business and understanding the impacts of working capital. That's the, the biggest thing that people have to understand for the next two years from it. Yeah, well, well done, David. Phil, views on that, please? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've got quite a long way to go with, with my career, I hope. Um, any, any plants closing in this country um, worry me, really. I mean, supply, when, when we had a boat knife, uh, jackknife in the Suez Canal and, and it ruined everyone's Christmas and whatever else, um, you, you realise just how sensitive we are to all the just-in-time deliveries. Everything's on a knife edge. Um, and and I, we, we, the reason we want to be producing food in this country is because we don't want to be at the behest of other uh, external factors and, and struggling to get things when we need it. And fertiliser surely is, is, is part and parcel of that. I mean, we, 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 we do need, we need to be able to, to guarantee our, our, our output in this country and losing it's going to be a big, a big issue. I mean, whether it'll affect this and next year's prices, I, I probably doubt, as with all these things that have been factored in, um, it wasn't something that just suddenly happened by surprise. So um, the long term, it's, um, it, it continues to worry me. Thank, thank you. Oliver, uh, you're going to be very well, well wired in with you, your background, but also um, the, the, the bank. Have you in the bank, have you got concerns about the, about the supply nature within UK agriculture? That we don't want any more of these failures, but is, is that something you, you and the, the, the likes of the banks per se are worried about? Um, I, I think it's not. It's not good news. I think it's good. Good to hear uh, Luke say it, it, the markets haven't blipped too much today with today's news. And as, as Phil's just said, it wasn't completely unexpected. Um, I think food security uh, moves up the agenda. It would crikey go back two and a bit years to March 2020, and food security was bang on top of the agenda, wasn't it? Um, so maybe. You know, news like this is not good for the industry. Uh, we need to secure that uh, uh, fertilizer. We need to be able to produce our food to keep our country moving. So, um, whether the banks are, are overly concerned in, in what is truly a global market like the grain market is, um, probably not massively so, but there is a degree of food security going on here. We need to control uh, and produce our own food and have that within our remit to be able to do that. So this factory shutting is, is you know, it damages that slightly. And it's, we've said this a number of times over the last couple of years, we know of this statement internally that uh, the government is really worried about the food security element that we are but four missed meals from anarchy. Is that that's the internal statement that, that goes around to, apparently within within governments when when people need a def, definition of um, the, the worst case of a, a, a breakdown of, uh, of food security. R Rupert, have you got got a view on this, please? Do you know, I, I, you know, I don't. Other than I hope that it's woken politicians up to the fact that we should be self sufficient. You know, a government has two duties, doesn't it? One is to feed its people, and the other is to defend its people. And um, uh, we've been very lacking uh, in the, in the former. Excellent. Thank you. Um, Isaac, have you got a view on, on this? Because you're, you're obviously very well, well widened, not only in the UK, but also, also internationally. What do you think? Um, you know, from, from where I'm coming from, I think so, and there's, there's no greater power, no greater motivation than hunger, which is something in this country so, you know, we haven't seen in the past. But I think so, and with, with the rise of food banks and, and what's happening at the moment, that is, is happening. And, and 
that drivers and overrides any other any other thing you know that that you might feel those and how you how you behave once people start to get to that point of real hunger and, and having to decide um that that can change people's attitudes i think and and farmers in our in a prime position to help with that so you know, and i think this could could you know some be the dawn of of and where farmers can really come to the forefront and can be seen as the heroes max can i jump in there go go um so i mean if if you if if, if we were um 25% short of fertilised production in the in, in in the world, um, and it's not being produced in this country. Where would we be on the priority list of receiving the available fertiliser that was that was floating around out there? You, you can say, oh well, you would just have to bid up for it and pay more money, and and, and we get it. But th there's so much politics that we know goes on in in all these things, and and maintaining. Um, food security for your country will, will be a large part of the politics has just been anticipated. But I, I, I took my 100-year-old grandmother to my daughter's school last week, uh, or before half-term, to, um, to talk about World War II and rationing. And she was explaining to them, took her, her she still has a ration book, and went through the whole idea of rationing. And we weighed out how much, how much flour, how much butter, how many eggs, whatever, each person had for a week. And, and that class of 10, 11 year olds, they were utterly dumbstruck at the idea that you could live on what she lived on for, for that period. And, and that rationing continued for, many, I think at 51 or something it finished. I mean, it went on quite well after the war had done. You kind of think it would just jump straight back, but it didn't. That shortage carried on for a long time, and and those those young minds suddenly like having having that explained to them, put in front of them in 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 physical terms, what rationing and food shortage, whatever, can look like, um, was 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 interesting from my point of view. I mean, I was I was pleased that we were able to to take that to the classroom and go through it, but it um, it it is it's it's closer than we think. Um, it, it, it wouldn't take very long to, to be into a situation where we, we have to, I mean, energy would be the other thing, um, but um, where, where we have to start saying, no, you can't have all that you want. Phil, well, well done. I think we would all love to have been, been there to, to see your, your granny doing, doing that, uh, that, that, that talk. That would be fascinating for all of us. Um, David, you're probably closest um, to us in, in the respects of what's going on within, within government and, and, and that circle of, um, of power. What, what's what's your, your, your views on this? Do you, do you think we will, if we, if we do need more assistance from, from government, do you think it will be forthcoming? Uh, I mean, it, it's very appropriate, and I would say, I'm, you know, I'm probably on three or four different meetings a week where we're having this very conversation. And you know, I'd say that the key role that we're playing in in this um, discussion is explaining what is happening and explaining what the reaction is and, and what the possibilities are. Um, so it, it's something that I think government are very, very conscious of, and it's also part of the reason why 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 we're here is because of the, the scenario. People are, are wanting to ensure and, and understand what the impacts of the um, of the current uh, market situation is so you know from from a government perspective in terms of the conversations that I'm having they they they're, they're fully aware of the issues they're fully aware of the um, the potential the problems that that may happen they they know that it is a long term impact.
impact. This isn't something that will just be, you know, being gone by by the summer or you know all over by by Christmas. This is something that will continue um, consistently. Um, so and, and they are and they are listening and they are wanting to learn as well. So you know, I, I have regular, very productive conversations with with DEFRA colleagues and with Treasury colleagues to to explain the situation so so they understand it to make the best decisions. That, 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 again, I, I think we all need to applaud the AHDB and. and... In some ways, uh, David, you and your colleagues are uh, perhaps um, hiding your light under the proverbial bushel. Now, that's fantastic to, to, to know that, that you're fighting the corner um, and looking to lobby and, and government on, on that basis. Um, every, everyone, we're just uh, coming to which now that hour has just um, flown by. Um, Isaac, if it's OK, it'd be great to get the, the views of all of our experts as to, to, to this title. How can we plan at a crisis? And just to go around everyone and just get, get their views as to what their direct recommendations would be to, to, to farmers in the, in the UK. Rupert, if it's okay, if we're just going to come straight to you. So, so what's your view on this big open statement as to how can we plan in a crisis? Rupert, what would your what would your views be? What would your recommendations be to UK farmers? I think the first the first thing is know your skill set uh, and know what uh, you have appetite to, to uh, towards and what you're prepared to uh, change because unless you understand you know what your limits are uh, then you know you can't go to the next step the next the, the, you know so it's your it's your human resource in the first place after that it's the physical resource that you've got and then it's identifying the financial uh, resource but you know this is a great juncture isn't it you know to yeah. to reset the clock you know we've got bps that is being eliminated uh, within uh, three years We've got Elms that is slightly delayed in its uh, in, in the way that it is being uh, 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 rolled out, and uh, that and, and we got volatility. So there's never been greater un, 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 uncertainty. But on the other hand, you know we've got a we've got a climate where there is a lot of exciting uh, developments coming coming along, and uh, it's keeping abreast of the of these changes that are coming and what you can adopt as you know adopt and, and learn as a result. Excellent, Rupert. Well done. I'm just going to endorse again the AHDB. More I learn about the AHDB, the more that we can be plugged into them, the more that they can help help us uh, through this. Phil, over to you. What's your advice, especially from where, where you are with the with the businesses that you're involved in, being your own farming business and uh, and your buying group? How can we plan in a crisis? What's your advice to the UK farmer, please? I mean, as, as Rupert just said, you have to know it to be able to manage it. I mean, the first the first thing is to to know where you stand. If you're if you're if you're not sure, um, or if you're worried about it, then then the the banker are equally interested in making sure you're in a good position. And um, and if if they're not directly able to support you in that, they'll be able to help you find people that can support you in that. And then it's really finding people who you can work with to 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 help in that process, whether or not it's something like your own farm group, buying group, or other buying groups, or or or, um, or grain traders that can offer pools to, to to help support your 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 selling and things like that. Um, the AHDB, I've 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 never been to a, a meeting that I've regretted going to. However, I've frequently found that I'd struggle to find time to get to all the meetings I want to get to, and and I think that's probably the most difficult thing is is to is to force yourself to get off the farm, go go away and 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 have that opportunity to look back. Because once you do that, you, you can look back with so much more clarity. Um, but you need that you need that little bit of space and and breathing room to be able to really see what is right in front of you. 
So um, I, I think that's nice. the most valuable thing I've always done is is having is time off farm, um, yep. and 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 that I think is would be a priority. But Phil, well, well, so just quickly, there's a Cranfield report that shows that the better businesses are those where the leaders spend 25% of their time thinking on the business. So not working in the business, thinking on the business. And I'm sure Oliver sees that um, all, all the times time uh, with successful businesses that he's involved with. But, it, but, but Phil, it's obviously that's so difficult to create that, that separation when, when you're living and breathing the thing, the, 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 the farm. But, Phil, thank you. Luke, over to you. What, what's your advice to, to UK farmer? I'm actually just going to echo what Phil said. The things I wrote down were to step back, take a deep breath and have a bit of thinking time. And I think the other thing that feed into that is just know your numbers, you know, have your cash flow and um, <coughs> then you'll be in a better position just with a bit of time. Um, and like I say, step back. I mean, I always find it handy to drive out of the county and, you know, physically get away from the farm and the area to, to sometimes have some thinking, thinking time. Luke, fantastic. Thank you. Oliver. I think um, just to kind of round up a few things, I think Luke Luke hit uh, as, as a banker come business consultant would agree, know your numbers. We've talked a lot about forward selling crop. Uh, if you've no idea what it's costing you to produce that crop, uh, forward selling is a ridiculous situation to be in. Um, for me, I think it's about, I'm going to use an old, uh, an old phrase, an old adage, Max. Uh, it, it's about circles of concern and circles of influence, right? An individual farm cannot influence the price of fertilizer globally or grain globally or fuel or electric. So that those go in that little circle of concern. What you've then got to do, uh, and it's what a couple of the chaps have mentioned is, you know, what, what is actually in your control? You know, uh, well, how much fertilizer you use, um, how much crop you want to produce. Is it worth knocking back the fertilizer use and selling slightly less crop? You know, it's, it's about it's going back to that character and ability of management. You know, just we can all fret all we like about about grain price, electricity price, fert price. There's very little we can do about it on a global market. Focus on the things you can do. Know your numbers. Have a cash flow. Uh, and for, for me, speaking as a banker, we've seen a lot of requests in the last eight months for higher working capital facilities. Talk to your bank, talk to your advisors and do it early so you can plan ahead. That would be my advice. I, I want to bank with Oliver. David, over to you. Uh, thanks for coming last, Max, because all the good all the good ones have been stolen. So I've got to think of something, <laughs> something at the end. Oliver literally just, you know, almost word for word said what I was going to say about making two lists of things yeah. you can control and can't control. So I have to think of something else. But my, 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 my final point was going, to, was going to be a piece of advice I often give um, farmers when we're talking about any kind of decision-making process that they're making is a really simple thing of you just write down the reason why you made that decision to either sell or not sell, to buy or not buy at that point. And then in three, four weeks, months time when the market has changed and you suddenly go, ah. Oh, Damn, what, what, why did I sell and the market's gone up another 20, 30 quid, 40, 50 quid, whatever. You can go back and you can go out. But at that point, I sold because I understood my numbers, as Oliver said. I knew the cost of production. I knew what the market was going to do because I'd spoken to Luke, I'd spoken to my broker, I'd spoken to my merchant, and, and we, we decided it was at that time the right decision. I knew that I had my profit in there as well. So I'm not going to go to Oliver going, oh, no, I need more money again. And, and I think that's the key thing to, to justify the decisions that are being made so that 
it isn't a, uh, anything that creates any extra anxiety. Write down why you make decisions so you can go back and review them and understand them in detail. David, brilliant. Um, Isaac, what we wanted to achieve out of this uh, this broadcast was uh, people to go away with five things. And, and we've got more than that. I think we've got tri triple from that. So I'm definitely going to listen to the podcast and pick through everything and get those key salient points. But actually, none of it's particularly rocket science. But to have our experts tell us what's in, in front of us and just remind us as to what we need to do to, to get through this, I think it's going to be hugely beneficial to everyone. Isaac, over to you to wrap up, please. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, we always think of, of you know, a, a farmer is not a empty cup, but he's filling full of information. The information is there. Things like this just uh, that information and remind people of, of what they can and do uh, right for their situation. So, you know, all that's left for me is to say thank you to everybody. So now I've been to Luke. I've seen his uh, wine cellar. I know I struggled to get out of the county. Um, but to everybody, thank you very much. Um, Rupert, Phil, Oliver, Luke, David, and uh, all the strings and uh, I had to pull in. So thank you very much for joining us tonight. Excellent. Everyone, th thank, thank you. you. That, that was ve very insightful. We wish everyone the best for the future and also um, a great, great harvest. And we'll see you at the next AHDB event, whether it be online or in person, uh, like, like they were for the last couple of days at Cereals. Everyone, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Good night.